mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, Great Expectations. His scripture text will be taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Here now, Pastor Moody. Amen. Matthew 21. Let's, let's start just in the first verse. It said, When they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, under the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village over against you. Straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If any man says aught to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, talking about Zechariah here, saying, that, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh. Say that with me. Thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. Very great multitudes spread their garments in the way and others cut down branches from trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Palm Sunday began a week uh, that we know as the Passion Week, the Holy Week, a week that would start with Jesus entering the city to accolades and praises and shouts and great joy, great welcome. It would be a week that would culminate with the same crowds shouting, crucify him, away with him, give us Barabbas, we have no king but Caesar. They would take him and beat him and nail him to a cross. He would die for our sins and rise, be buried and rise the third day. We'll celebrate Sunday, next Sunday, that resurrection. But God began to sort of touch my heart and some things that I read and studied and preparing this week. And I thought about what it meant when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. If you understand Bible prophecy and what the Word of God had said and who the Jews were, the oppression they were under, it should have been a great and exciting event that would literally turn the whole nation of Israel to God. It was great. It was exciting. But how many knows they missed it? They missed it. But I want to preach this morning on the thought of Great expectations. I wonder what we think of when we think of Jesus coming to us in our lives or 
God moving in our church or the Holy Spirit moving in our midst? What are you looking for? What do you expect? I want to preach on great expectations. Zechariah had said about Jesus coming and riding into town on that little donkey that day. You understand that conquering generals usually rode in on a white horse, but a prince of peace came riding in on a donkey. And Zechariah said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. And Zechariah 9 and 9, he said, Shout, O Jerusalem. Amen. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just. He's right. Having salvation, lowly. He comes in humbly riding upon this little donkey to show you that the king, the God of heaven, has condescended to come to where you are. John 1 and 1 uh, said, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then it said that he was in the world and the world was made by him. There wasn't anything made that he didn't make. He was the creator. That word that was spoken from the Father and the Spirit moved in the beginning. And then John 1.14 said he came uh, in flesh and they beheld his glory, even as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. For three and a half years, Jesus had went through all out through Judea, Galilee, Nazareth, that entire region. And, and he had healed the sick. Are you hearing me? He had raised the dead, walked on water, turned water to wine, cast out devils. His fame had spread throughout the country. He had demonstrated and proved beyond doubt that he was, in fact, the very Messiah, the Son of God. And uh, they would say things. We've never seen it on this wise. Nobody ever spoke like this man. One blind man that was born blind received his sight, and they told him Jesus was a sinner. He said, I don't know if he is a sinner or not, but we know this. We'd never heard that a man born blind could receive his sight. Are you hearing me? He was powerful. He was supernatural, can you say amen? And so he came then riding after that ministry. His name, Jesus. The minute you said Jesus, it either sparked excitement or controversy. Some said he's a prophet. Others said out loud, he's the Messiah. Others said he's a devil. The Jewish leaders said he's going to cause us to lose our place if we're not careful. Are you hearing me? Problem was it wasn't their place. It was God's place. And so I started looking at this and the week ended with the crowds shouting, crucify him. And I started thinking, how could expectations change so quickly? How could people who thought perhaps he was Messiah, um, a healer, a miracle worker, a, a king, a conqueror, remember what the disciples had said to him in Matthew 24 on the Mount of Olive Discourse? when he told them about the wars and tribulations and and earthquakes and the end times and the temple being destroyed in their time and then the end time, the Son of Man coming. And and man, they were listening and they said, at this time now, would you restore? In other words, are you gonna take, are you gonna get us out from under the oppression of the Romans? They, They expected so much, but they expected the wrong thing. I begin to think about people today So many people come into church, come into the presence of God, hear the gospel preached, 
And I've seen them for 36 years. Many of them come, taste the good Holy Ghost, the good move of God, get a glimpse of heaven, get a glimpse of glory. Many of them, can I preach this, have seen their children healed, their parents healed, the God move and touch them in power. And then when things didn't go just like they wanted them to, they walked away from God. And for the life of me, I can't understand it. Mm, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. I'll help you here in a minute. So I thought the thought occurred to me that the problem was expectation. I want to say this, and I want you to understand. Jesus did not come then, nor does he come now, to meet the expectations of the people that followed him. I want to say that again. He didn't come to meet the expectations of the Jews. They were expecting Messiah to come, which he will. His coming is in two parts. Hello? How many knows it ain't over yet? He's coming back, glory, or riding that white horse. He's coming back to take over this world and set up his kingdom in Jerusalem on the throne of David like Isaiah prophesied and they thought. But the first time he didn't come to do that. He didn't come to deliver them from Rome. He didn't come to, to deliver them from, from the 400 years of, of no move of God. He came to bring salvation. He came to die on an old rugged cross he came to pay the penalty for sin. Are you hearing me? He came to bring men out from under the bondage and the penalty and the effects of sin. He came to destroy the very works and power of Satan. I'll get you up in a minute. I said he came to liberate us spiritually. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Mm, somebody help me. I'm just going to pray for me this morning. Let me, let me go on. You see, the root of man's problems was not, is not, and was not then a, a poor economy. The root of man's problems was not, well, I can say this one pretty comfortably, a corrupted government system. I mean, we got people sitting in churches across America. They either want to blame everything on the Democrats or on the Republicans. Some blame the White House. Some blame the Congress, either house. Some blame, blame the Supreme Court. We got a lot of problems. But I want to remind you what Jesus said. The root of man's problems is sin and the heart of a man. Listen to this. Jesus said in Mark 7 and 15, there's nothing from without a man, from the outside, that entering into that man can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile man. And he said, you know, in, in Mark 7 and 20, he said, that which comes out of man that defiles the man, amen, from, for from within, out of the heart of man, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, which means a wandering eye, never satisfied, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and defile the man. Now, all of these things do. Just yesterday, a man that I, that I love dearly spoke to me and said to uh, he said to me, he said, what's wrong with people today? Why is there so much stealing, so much drugs, so much lying, 
so much murder and so much crime going on. He said, what's happened to our society and our generation? I said, I'm gonna tell you what it is. I said, it's what we call the devil. He's real. You know what Jesus called the devil? Watch this. He called him a liar. The man asked me, why is there so much lying? He called him a thief. Why is there so much stealing? He's a thief. He called him, Jesus called him a murderer. Why is there so much murder? Why are they killing babies in the womb? Why are, are children murdering their parents across this land and their grandparents to get, to get their money to do because of addictions or, or whatever it is? The real reason is not the problem is not the dope dealer on the street corner. The real problem is a man named Satan. Can you say amen? And he's got in the hearts and minds of people and he's corrupted them so out of them come all of these evil murders and adultery and fornication and lying and bitterness and wickedness and anger all the unrest that's, up, that's causing upheaval in the cities of America and the wars of the Middle East and all over the world I want to say good things come from God and all of the mess comes from the devil if you believe that give him a hand type of praise <laughs> glory so Jesus comes riding in to Jerusalem on a donkey I want you to get this picture with this procession. His disciples, and he'd come from Bethany. The Bible says that in John 11, it said that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And when he did raise Lazarus from the dead, it said that people came to see Lazarus, and they came to Mary. And they said, it's amazing. And, and people were believing by the, by the hundreds, by the thousands. You've got to understand that when they came into Jerusalem that day, it was not some little old thing going on. And and, and, and let me say this, I did a little research and found out that uh, at Passover in Jerusalem at that time, Jerusalem normally was what we would call a town, they call it a city, of about 50,000 people. But during the feast of Passover, because of Jews coming from everywhere, it would grow to a city of over 500,000 people. If you can imagine all of the commerce, all of the buying, the selling, all, and you gotta remember at this time, Israel's under Roman oppression, and the Romans are, are guarding this very carefully. And uh, one man that I read after this week said that there were two processions into town that day. Uh, that Because that same day that Jesus came in with that crowd of people, there also Pilate had requested and had received a legion of Roman soldiers. A troop, of, a great troop of Roman soldiers rode in in military formation that same day saying to the Jews, we'll not have any unrest. We'll not have any upheaval because they were so uh, upset over the oppression of Rome. Oh, help me, Lord. One of the reasons that, that the Romans oppressed people so brutally was this. There was a conflict of two kingdoms here because Rome believed that Caesar was a god. Do you hear me? And the Jews would not ever acknowledge any other deity other than Jehovah. So that's why the Romans were there. They were afraid at Passover that 500,000 people could start an uproar and an upheaval and, and history bears out and the Bible bears out. There was concern and, and then the Jewish leaders. Am I preaching all right? The, the Jewish leader, I love it when I'm preaching, y'all get quiet. I don't know if I, if I got your attention or you're just listening close, but let, let me go on. And, and the Jewish leaders, look at their position, what they said. They said, listen, uh, if we don't do something about this, they're gonna cause the upheaval 
and the Romans are going to come and we're going to lose our place, their place in the temple. And they got to understand it wasn't their place. What they didn't realize was when Jesus rode into town that day and went into the temple and turned over the tables of the money changers and drove out that commercial bunch and said, this is my house. It's called a house of prayer. Can I shout it? The God of the temple came to the temple of God that day. And so there was this, this conflict going on. The powers of Satan, the powers of Rome, the Jewish leaders, and right in the middle of it was the Son of God. Are you hearing me? So when I started looking at this, this triumphal entry, we always paint the picture of little kids waving palm branches and, and all that was true. But the reality was there was a convergence of darkness against light. There was a convergence of hell coming against heaven's plans. Satan knew what was going. Do you understand Satan knew? Let me know Satan knows the Bible. He knows the word of God. If you don't believe it, ask Eve. He misquoted it to her and tricked her. He knows the Bible. He, he took Jesus in the wilderness and, and quoted the Bible to him. And, and I've said this for years. I said, it's amazing to me. You read through the entirety of the Old Testament and you hardly ever read of any demonic activity. You know, no demons, no, no, no demon powers, just a, a couple of times. But when you get to the New Testament, everywhere Jesus went, he had to cast out devils. Not just one, but legions of them. And it made me to think that Satan, who has this structured force, an army of demons, which are one-third of the fallen angels, the Bible calls them principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. Lord, I can't preach this, but I will tell you, that's why San Francisco has been for 40 years a homosexual city. It's because there's a demon lording over that place. Can I get a witness? That's why Las Vegas sprung up out of the desert and became became a gambling capital of the world. Oh, am I, am I preaching? I'll get on your lottery tickets in a minute. There's a demon that uses gambling to destroy families. What's, what's, what's up with the drugs today? Do you know that the Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft? Mike, I can go back to the 60s and 70s when the Woodstock hippies stripped off their clothes in that farm in New York, up there in New York State and had sex out in the field and, and revolutionized drugs and rock and roll music began to spew out the bilge of being high and the Beatles singing about a yellow submarine and John Lennon singing no God above us, no hell beneath and saying well, I'm greater than Jesus. There's a spirit of rebellion that's raped the soul of America. And it said rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And in the Greek, it's the word pharmacia. And pharmacia is where we get the word pharmacy. And it has to do with drugs that alter and control the body and the mental and emotional functions. What are you saying? This drug epidemic is a result of rebellion in America. Woo! Oh, hallelujah. So when Jesus rode into town that day, I remember the old holiness preacher used to strum his guitar and sing, there's a line that's been drawn through the ages. And on that line stands an old rugged cross. 
And on the cross, a battle is raging for the good of man's soul is lost. And the earth shakes with the voice, with the force of the conflict. Even the sun refuses to shine. For there hangs God's son in the balance. I feel the Holy Ghost. The song says, but then in the darkness he cries. It is finished. (laughs) The battle is over. It is finished. There'll be no more war. It is finished. Hallelujah. I've come to tell somebody. Jesus rode into town that day to drive a death nail in the coffin of sin and let the devil know it's finished and victory is won. Give him a shout of praise if you believe it. Glory, glory, glory. Woo! They expected one thing. But Jesus came for somebody, for something else. I remember reading in Luke 24 about the two men on the road to Emmaus now after the resurrection. They're walking, they're they're downhearted. If you can imagine, they're two of the disciples. Kellen, they've spent their lives. Last three and a half years, they've, they've left everything to follow him. They, why would somebody walk away from their home? Why would James and John leave their father's fishing business? Why would Matthew leave the lucrative position of being the tax collector? Why would, would they walk away from, I mean, how many of you do, I mean, just think about it. How many today would be willing to walk away from your home, your family, and your job and be like old Don Brankle who left home when he was 15 years old in a model of T Ford and say, I'm going to win the world to Jesus and never came back home. And he literally has preached around the world. He's in his 80s and still going, praise God. He told me, he said, I can't stop till I get to heaven. Hallelujah. Why would they do that? Well, the Bible gives us an insight in Luke 24 and 21. When these two men were talking to Jesus, he said, why are you so trouble? They said, are you a stranger in these parts and haven't heard the things that's going on? He said, what things? They said, that Jesus of Nazareth, who, who was a man of God, a prophet proven by the things that he did. And they took him, they've crucified him. And this morning, some of the women said they went to the tomb and it's empty and they saw angels. And now some of the brothers are claiming they've seen him. And we don't know what to think about him. But listen to verse 21 of Luke 24. They said, but we trusted. Let me translate that. We had hope. We trusted that it had been he which should redeem Israel. We thought he would be the one to remove the Roman oppression off of us. But remember what Jesus said. He said, come unto me, all of you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you a rest. For my yoke is easy. Rome has tried to kill you, but I've come to save you. <laughs> He even told, man, I'm preaching pretty good right here. He even told the Jews, the Pharisees, the priests, he said, you're, you're the part of the problem too. He said, you put rules and legalism and bondage on these people, yokes that nobody can bear, and said, you won't even lift your finger to help them. But he said, come to me. Somebody say that, come to Jesus. Oh, I want to tell the drug addict, come to Jesus. I want to tell the man and woman whose marriage is on the rocks and the family's disintegrating and their kids have went wild or dear God, the parents have went wild. I want to say to them, come. 
come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. Hallelujah, Nick was singing on the battlefield and I wanted to jump up and sing, I'm fighting for my Savior. The battle's almost won, the trumpet will be sounding. The coming of the sun, I'll lay my armor down, take up my robe and crown and I'll shout the golden streets. What are you saying, preacher? I lost my flag in battle. My staff is in my hand. I'm taking it to Jesus over in the promised land in this distant land I trod and I'm crying sinner come to God that's what it is to be on the battlefield Jesus said come to me the message of the church has still got to be come to Jesus come to Jesus let me, tell, let me say this I believe in miracles and I've seen miracles there's a miracle sitting right back here this morning they said he's going to die and God raised him up my wife is a miracle. There are miracles sitting here. Blind eyes have been opened. Cancers have been healed. Hearts have been healed. Arteries have been opened. God's, he's, he still makes the lame walk and the, and the dumb talk. Can you shout amen, somebody? I, we, we, we know he's a God of miracles, and that's powerful, but the message of the church has got to be, come to Jesus. Come with your broken heart. Come with your sin. Come with your bondage. Come with your failures. Come on, somebody. Uh, somebody said he'll take you just as you are. Sure he will. He'll bring you to an altar of repentance where you can lay all that off and get up a new creature in Jesus Christ and live in holiness. Hallelujah. Uh, people tell me they've got saved and they want to argue. They can go on and live in sin. You didn't come to Jesus and lay it off and take his yoke upon you. And this feels so good. Why should I want to put that other garb back on? Let me hurry. Let me hurry. Why did he come to Jerusalem? The real reason Jesus came. Philippians 2 and 8 said, being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself. One place said he set his face like a stone toward Jerusalem told his disciples, I'm going there to be killed and crucified, and Peter couldn't take it. And Peter said, far be it from you. He looked him right in the face and said, get behind me, Satan. This is the reason I came. He wasn't calling Peter a devil. Satan was trying to use Peter to make him feel like, well, you don't have to do it. That's why he prayed in the garden. Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. And then he got, he prayed till his, his will broke and his capillaries burst and his sweat came out and drops of blood. And then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. That's why he came there. That's why he came there. Great. Expectations. Hebrew 12 and 1 said, Wherefore, seeing we're also compassed with, about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. How many of you are ready to, to go like Jesus and lay aside your will and your sin and your bondage and your flaws and your failures and your stinking attitude? I ain't preaching nothing to you that I've slapped myself upside the head with over you know, three or four times at least. I've wore me out over the way I think sometimes. I find myself running around, you know, with my lips stuck out and pouting about this and wanting to get mad at somebody because they've done that. And I hear Jesus saying, who do you think you are? And I remind myself that I've said a lot of times, you can't hurt a dead man. I mean, you walk up to a casket anytime you want to and stick that guy or gal with a pen, they ain't going to move. 
What are you saying? If you die to self and self-will and pride and ambition and, and just totally let the old man die and surrender to what God wants, you'll be all right. And so Jesus rode into the city that day. And the scripture said, lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us and run the race with patience set before us. Well, listen to this. Looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is set down at the right hand of God. What's that mean? Jesus rode into town knowing they were going to beat the life out of him, pluck out his beard, spit in his face, blaspheme him, drive nails into his hands and feet. He endured that for the joy. What joy? The third day joy. Look at somebody say, that was Friday that they nailed him. But he knew Sunday was coming. (laughs) He knew he'd get up and kick the gates of hell off their hinges. Kick death right in the teeth. Walk out of that tomb, go into the heart of the earth. Liberate everybody that's ever been held captive there. And take them into heaven with him. Oh, that's joy. Paul said, I want to tell you that, that the sufferings of this pleasant life, present life are not worthy to be compared to that joy that's waiting on us over there. Are you hearing me? That's what Jesus knew. Go ahead, give him praise. Oh. So the triumphal entry, there was great expectations of Roman soldiers laying dead in the streets and, and Caesar being dethroned and, and the Jewish leadership finally getting it right. And there was all kinds of things that they were expecting. But Jesus said, for this reason, the Son of Man came, and that was to die. The Scripture said, and back over in, in Matthew 17 and, and 11, it said, For the Son of Man is come to seek. I'm sorry, the Son of Man is come simply to save that which was lost. That's what he came for. He, he came to save us. I, I was so thrilled Wednesday night when Andrew come down this, down this aisle. Because I love teenagers. I, I used to be one. <laughs> In the days of round black and white television screens, <laughs> my first car was a 55 Chevy. I used to be a teenager. Are you hearing me? I know that's hard to believe. I even wore beetle shoes and had bangs one time. Thank God I got delivered from that mess. Them shoes like to cripple me. I couldn't walk after I wore them about two days. I used to be, I love teenagers. I love, you know why, Andrew, you know why I love you guys so much? It's because there's so much hope and so much potential. I love to tell young people, if you give God your youth and don't go out there in that mess of that world, I want you to think in the terms of David and Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego because God pays a special premium on a life that's surrendered to him at a young age. You ought to shout right there if you're ever going to shout. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Praise God. So he came into the city just because he came to die. There was a contrast of kingdoms. Jesus at a trial before Pilate that was there just to condemn him. And the Jews had orchestrated it to protect themselves and their position. 
And he said, I find no fault in him. He washed his hands of an innocent man's blood. Are you hearing me? A heathen had more sense than the high priest. Think of that concerning Christ. And those same people that had shouted Hosanna on Sunday, on Friday were shouting, we have no king but Caesar. Do you see the, the irony of that? The Romans said Caesar was God, and here were these Jews saying, we'll bow to your God, Caesar, but not to our God, Emmanuel, Christ with us, God among us. So their expectations ended up in failure because anytime you try to limit God to make him fit into your mold, you're going to fail. He's bigger than that. How many in this building right now have things you need God to do? Hold your hand up. Hallelujah. Just keep your hand up there. While you got it up, I want you to turn towards somebody and high five them. Look them right in the eye and say, hey, God is bigger than that. Woo! Hey! He's bigger than all your problems, bigger than all your pain, bigger than all your distress, bigger than all your needs. He came to save you, to take you to heaven, and to make your life a joy to live for him. Glory, glory, glory. Nick comes. Let me, let me try to close. He came to die. I've said it several times, but I need to say it again. Listen to this. This is John 11. I mentioned it briefly. This is after Lazarus is raised. Do you understand that the raising of Lazarus from the dead was had more effect. I, I, I didn't want to say it was greater than any of the other miracles, but it had more effect on society in that day than any other miracle. I mean, you know, back in Benny Hinn's heyday and Oral Roberts' heyday and A.A. Allen's heyday, when people were getting miracles and things were happening, now, I, I know there's people that sit and say, well, you know, that's just a bunch of trickery. There's nothing to all that. Let me tell you something. There probably was some inappropriate things. But don't you never doubt that there weren't some miracles. I said miracles. And in, even in Jesus' day, why, he cast devils out. And the priest stood up. And said, well, he's doing it by Beelzebub. Beelzebub means the Lord of the Flies. This is another one of Satan's very colorful names. He's a stinking Lord of Flies. And their, their offspring, I'll just leave it like that. They, they tried to equate what Jesus did with Satan. I guarantee you, when he fed those multitudes with that fish and loaves, there was people that probably said, well, you know, it's a pretty good gimmick, but, and multitudes followed him, not because of his power, but because they wanted another free lunch. The Bible said that. It said they followed him because of the fishes and loaves. 
They wanted another happy meal. Are you with me? So my, my point was this, that there, there was this following that followed for the wrong reasons. And in John 11, in verse 45, it said, Then many of the Jews came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did and believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priest and the, council, the Pharisees a council and said, what are we going to do for this man does many miracles, many miracles. If we, watch this, if we leave him alone, all men will believe on him. Well, hallelujah. Can you say Hallelujah. I mean, if, if miracles will make men believe glory, let's, let's get some more miracles. They, they said that all men will believe on him. And then what's this though? Colon. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. They didn't know that he had power, as Billy Graham said, to summon the legions of angels. Just think, if Israel had bowed down and accepted him, Jesus could have called the heavenly legions. It would have been over and would have been paradise from that day to this on earth. No, but man has other expectations. One of them named Caiaphas, the high priest at the same year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Watch him now. He, he gets so dangerously close, but he doesn't buy. He gets, he gets close, but doesn't grasp it. He says, nor consider that it's expedient. Let me translate. Beneficial for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And this he spake not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied, the high priest prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. Verse 52 says, and not for that nation only, but that, all, that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Let me say what Pilate, what Caiaphas was saying. He was saying, I know. Let's make him a martyr. Let's, let's let him have his moment in the spotlight and let's kill him. And then all of our Jews will hear it and they'll come from all over the world where they've been scattered. And maybe then we can rise up. Do you understand? Their expectations were wrong. And then the next verse, verse 53 says, they took counsel from that moment how they could kill him. They sealed it. We're going to kill him. We're not going to have him. We're going to kill him because of wrong expectations. Now, how could they? How could they shout Hosanna on Sunday and crucify him on Friday? How could they totally reject him? My, I want to just, can I fast forward and say, how can we? How can we sit in a church service and know who Jesus is and walk away from him? Tim, I remember the night I got saved. Your old daddy stood up in front of that little Baker Court church and he preached about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. I was a sinner. I was a bad one. And he preached that night and said, Jesus looked at Jerusalem and cried and said, Oh, Jerusalem, 
I would have gathered you under my wings like a little old hen gathers her chickens. But you wouldn't come. You wouldn't come. He knows his, can you say amen? Uncle Bud Robinson, the old Nazarene holiness preacher said, I was raised on a farm and I was out there in the barnyard. He stuttered. And he said, my my mama had an old black hen and said she had a bunch of black chickens. And said, there's another old hen. She was white. And said, she had a bunch of white chickens. And said, one of her little chickens hatched off and it was black. And said, I was watching one day and said, that little black hen, little black chicken got out of that brood and ran over at that other old black hen, her chickens, and said, she flopped her wings and shuffled a little bit, ran right in the middle of all them black chickens and started pecking that and ran it out because it wasn't hers. And his point was, God knows you. Whether you're saved or you're not saved. And yet we got these expectations. Well, I can go to church and get a girlfriend. Woo. I go to church, I'll find me a husband. I was in Africa and Zambia praying one night after I preached and thousands had got saved. The two little Zambian ladies, beautiful little black Zambians dressed up in all their garb, walked up to me and both of them told me they're saved. And, and I said, well, what do you need? They said, we're praying for a husband. We want God to give us a husband. We want you, pastor, to pray for us for God to give us a husband. And I said, all right, that's a good request, a good godly husband. And I started laying my hands on them before I ever touched them. They both fell out on the ground speaking in tongues, got baptized in the Holy Ghost for the first time. They got up, man, they were staggering around, they were shouting, speaking in tongues. And I said, Lord, why'd you do that he said I'm all they need I'm all they need and I figured they probably found them a husband they was too pretty not to you hearing me spirit feel pretty woman what man wouldn't want a woman like that all the men said amen so their expectations caused them to miss the presentation of heaven. We hope you enjoyed today's message and will tune in again next time. Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.